Bow with me in a word of prayer, please, as we open the word. Father, it's such a joy to be able to gather together with your people because this is the church, the church of those who have been called to gather together in the name of Jesus Christ. Not just called out of the world, but called together to worship Jesus Christ, to worship the triune God. So we thank you for this expression now of the body of Christ as we gather for worship, for fellowship, and now for the sharing of your word. We thank you already for the fulfillment of your promise that you've given us through the prophet. You said that your word will not return void, but will accomplish the purpose for which you send it forth today. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've finally done it. I've given in to the pressures of the world. And I've finally decided to give you an easy formula for living the Christian life. Amen? <laughs> easy formula. You know, you go to the bookstores these days or you hear sermons, five easy steps to become a committed Christian. Five easy steps to wealth. Five, all of these easy steps. Well, I've always looked at those as really worldly things, you know, attitudes. But I've finally succumbed. I really thought I'd never do this. In this world of cravers after quick fixes and how-to formulas that seek to eliminate effort energy and hard work I finally succumbed to the pressures of the spiritual lazy and the make me feel happy majority of professing believers to show you how you can understand and do the will of God in one easy step isn't that great isn't what you've been waiting for one easy step to total consecration to God just one. Now, however, to be true to Scripture, I've also given my message a subtitle, How to Avoid Being Foolish. So here's our text for the day. I want you to turn with me to it in your Bible, please, and then I want you to read it along with me. But turn to your Bibles first, and then we'll read it from the screen. I want you to have your Bibles open because I want to emphasize again, I do not want you just to, uh, you won't do it anyway. You don't remember what I say. But anyway, I want you to remember what the word of God says. Remember, God has not promised to bless what I say about his word. He's only promised to bless his word. So he wants you to be sure you're looking at the word of God. But read the verse with me now nonetheless from the screen so we could have the same version on three one two three be careful how you live not as the unwise but as the wise making the most of your time because the days are evil so then do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is this is an amazing text but let me ask you a question. Do you believe it? Do you really believe that the Bible you hold in your hand, the text that we've read just now, do you really believe that this is God's word 
to you right now? Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that? Okay. If you do, then you listen to him rather than being distracted with the thoughts of what you're going to be doing afterwards. You're not going to be distracted as to how long am I going to preach. Amen. <laughs> if you really believe that this is the word of God, you're not going to be distracted because God is speaking to you through his words. Now, I might interfere sometimes, but still, he's speaking through his word, right? Now, I want you to understand that. If you just come to listen to me and the oddities and everything else, that's not what's at stake here. This is the word of God. God speaking to you through his word. You must believe what he's saying. You must respond to what he's saying. God is speaking to us in and through this text. And as we look at it today, the question is, will you listen to God? Or will you listen to other voices? And there are other voices speaking to you right now. You remember? And then I just want to show you where these voices come from at times. You remember in the Garden of Eden? God gave a command. Don't eat of this fruit. He ate. She ate. They sinned. They hid from God. Adam, where are you? I'm hiding in the bushes, Lord. What you doing in the bushes? I'm ashamed because I'm naked. Adam, listen carefully now to the question. Who told you? You were naked. Implications. You listen to another voice other than mine. That's a short definition of sin. Listening to any other voice than the voice of God. Whose voice are you listening to right now in your head? just to distract you from what God is saying. Whose voice will you listen to? Let's hear him once again. The text is still there. Let's read it once more, please. Be careful. I repeat, this is the word of God, not the word of man. I did not write these words before coming here. This is the word of God, not the word of man. According to this text, then, this word of God to us, a foolish person is a person who lives his or her life without understanding what the will of God is for his or her life. Isn't that true? Look at the text. 
The implications then are absolutely clear. First, we can know God's will. True or false? Secondly, God wants us to know his will. True or false? What about this one? Thirdly, we are wasting our time when we live without knowing his will. We are wasting our time. I don't care what it is you might be involved in. It could be a ministry. It could be making a lot of money. I don't care what it is. But if you not, do not know what God's will is and doing, you're wasting your time. It's a foolish lifestyle that you're living. We are not using our time wisely, but foolishly, if we live without understanding and doing God's will. So now, here's some questions we need to ask as a result of hearing these words from God. Question number one. What are you doing with your time? Are you investing it for the glory of God? Or are you doing your own thing? You say, well, what is my own thing? Anything that's outside of the will of God for your life is your own thing. What is the point of all of this then? The point is this, to invest your time wisely, in other words, to live to please God, you must know and do God's will. Isn't that right? That's God's word in our text. Now, isn't that simple? You're talking about a simple solution, remedy. Isn't that simple? No one to do God's will. Isn't it simple? No, yeah. God's one-step plan for living wisely. You say, Pastor Lee, that's two steps. You tricked us. That's one more thing I have to do than I was prepared for when you opened your message. One step is okay, but now two? Man, you're really asking a lot of me. I'm too busy for that, doing my own thing. One step, maybe I'll, I'll give it a try. But two? No way. Too much work, too much effort. Okay. Like I told you, I succumbed to the worldly influence. But actually, from a purely biblical, theological perspective, knowing and doing God's will is really only one activity. Because in Scripture, the idea of knowing carries along the idea of doing. To know something, to understand something really from a biblical perspective, Perspective is also to do it. Jesus says to his father in John 17, 3, This is eternal life, that they may what? Know me, the one whom you've sent. You. Eternal life has to do with knowing God, the triune God. But in that knowledge, there's a trust. There's an act of faith. Isn't that right? So you see, I wasn't tricking you at all. 
I'm still going to give you a one-step formula to pleasing God in your life. So you see, I'm on your side. Let's see if we can really reduce knowing and doing the greatest thing we can ever know and do, the will of God, reduce it down to one step. To do this, we must first answer a big question. Here is the big question. How can I know God's will? Isn't that a big question? How many of you have the answer to that already? See, this is why I wish we had time to get answers back from you and talk and discuss this. This is why I think the way we do things right now of me preaching up here is not really the biblical way for having church. Because you can't talk back. But if I try to do that now, some of you will walk over because it's taking too long. And I got to go home, or I got to go fishing or whatever. Yeah, you say, boy, you really rub me. Yes, I am. Because I'm getting to the point now I'm really sick and tired of the kind of attitudes people show towards worship and the word of God and still say they are in the will of God. It just comes to a point. Do you know that even God's grace ends? Do you know that? And I ain't God. <laughs> How can I know God's will? Now to get... To get God's answer to this question, we must read the rest of the story. So look at your Bibles again, please. Same chapter. But this time we read the rest of the chapter. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 15. Notice how it begins. Therefore, Bible students know that this is looking back with as well as forward. It's bringing something to a climax and it's telling us how to apply it. Therefore, you be very careful how you live. That's command number one in this passage. You be careful how you live. This is a statement of contrast now. Notice what it says. Not as unwise, but as wise. A person who walks carefully then is a person who is wise. The one who does not walk carefully is foolish. Now that's God. That's, is, that's, isn't that right? So don't say I call in everybody foolish. I'm not calling everybody foolish. The only one I'm calling foolish is those who are not doing the will of God. Why can I call you foolish? Because God calls you foolish. And he is going to repeat this same statement again and again in this passage. Positively and negatively. Contrasting and so on. Notice now. You be very careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. How do you do this? By taking advantage of every opportunity. Every opportunity to do what? Every opportunity to be wise. Because it means then you take every opportunity to obey the will of God in your life. If you don't, you're living foolishly. Why should we do this? Because the days are evil. Now, we really don't need to do any exposition of that, do we? Just pick up the newspaper. Just look at your new 
at your TV. That's all. These are evil days in which we live. If it's any days we should be living wisely by doing the will of God, it's today. Today. And, and today, I don't mean 24 hours. I mean until we see him face to face. Now he goes on to verse 17. For this reason. What reason? The reasons you just stated. The evil world in which we live. You do not be foolish. See, he's repeating the same. That means this is important. When you see the Spirit of God repeat something to us again and again from all sorts of perspectives, he wants us to listen. You do not be foolish. That's another command. But, here's a contrast now. But, you be wise. He said that before, didn't he? He's saying it again. Don't be foolish. Be wise. How? By understanding the will of what the will of the Lord is. That is how we avoid being foolish and how we become wise as Christians. By doing the will of God. Isn't that simple? Look at verse 18. Now he expands. He says, and he's giving us an additional explanation here. He expands on his command to be wise by knowing the will of God with another statement of contrast. Notice what he says. And you do not get drank, drunk with wine, which leads or which is debauchery, immorality. Now be careful here. What he's saying here is a paraphrase is don't be controlled with alcohol that leads to a disorderly, immoral way of life. Now here's the contrast. But you be filled. There's a difference between control by alcohol and being filled by the Spirit of God. That's why the but is there. The but is a contrast, something different. You be filled with the Spirit. In the original, this is a continuous tense. You being continually being controlled or filled with the Spirit of God. That means we are to be always being controlled or filled by the Spirit of God. That's the key to knowing what God's will is. That's the key to walking wisely and not foolishly. That's the key to being wise as Christians and not to be fools as Christians. God's will for us is to be continually being controlled by the Spirit. Now, what does this mean? God doesn't leave us in darkness or in ignorance here. He tells us what it means if we would study to show ourselves approved unto God. God does not hide his will. I don't know why we have the idea that God has some secret will somewhere. He's hiding it from us. And we've got to go look for it. Let me see if it's under this text. Let me see if it's in this Bible. Let me see. In fact, God's revelation to us in the Bible is his will. The reason why many people don't know it is because they don't read your Bible. 
That's why you read other things, newspapers, magazines, you do other things, but you don't read the Bible. God's will is in the scriptures. God's will is there. People say, I want God's will. And it's got him right in the hand. But because we do our own thing, we don't go to scriptures to get God's will for us. And we live foolishly. Foolish lives. He reveals it. Look at the text now. Look at the word of God. And I, I want to remind you, it's his word, it's not mine. Look at it. You got it in your hand. Verse 11. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now let's stop there. Because I'm going to give you an English Greek lesson. Joy, remember that? Joy taught me English, by the way. And this is important for understanding this text. And if you would learn how to study your Bible, you'd learn about these things. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Here's a little English lesson. This word speaking is what Bible students call an I-N-G verb. I-N-G verb. It simply means it's a verb ending with an I-N-G. That's all it means. Now, there's another word, a gerund. Right? A gerund. Now, what is the meaning of a gerund? Well, let me give you a dictionary meaning. It's a noun formed from a verb describing an action, state, or process. In English, it is formed from the verbs I-N-G form. Now, what is left out in this English, although it is understood there, is brought out from my Greek professor, said that these ing verbs describe what the original or preceding subject or statement actually means or consists of. In other words, this. The word from which the ing verb came, comes, the preceding noun, is described by the ing words. It's concurrent to the meaning of the noun that comes before. You say, boy, and I be taking us back to school. Well, I want to teach you the word of God because this is important. Listen carefully now. What is the preceding statement? In our case, the preceding statement is, you be filled with the Spirit. Right? You be filled with the Spirit. Or, you be filled or continually being filled with the Spirit. What does it mean? How do we manifest the Spirit's control in and over through our lives? By what these ING verbs describe. Look at your text now. The first one says what? 
speaking to one another. In psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing, by the way, speaking to one another is an outward demonstration. Singing, making music in your hearts to the Lord. In other words, it has to do with a deep emotional feeling. It's an inner attitude. It's characterized by love for Christ. It's a form of worship. Singing and making music in your hearts to the Lord. Then it goes on giving, giving thanks always to God the Father for each other and for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, being filled with the Spirit is a constant, continual, ongoing attitude of joy that sees God's will in everything and in everyone we come across. And submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Here is another basic ongoing attitude. Our submission to Christ is to be evidenced by our submission to one another as members of the incredible body of Christ all the time. But the point is this. God's will is for us to be filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit means speaking to one another, singing and making melody, making music in our hearts to the Lord, and giving thanks always to God the Father for each other and for all things, submitting to one another. Now, we could take a week on each of those points. But that's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. We don't have to wonder. You say, well, I thought I was something else. I thought it means I have power and I do something. When I give an invitation, everybody can fall down. They can boom and everybody falls back. That's the will of God there. An attitude that worships and praises God, that submits to one another, that sees God's will in everything that happens and everyone who comes across our path. And then because we are dependent upon the Spirit of God, God's will is carried out in our lives. That's what this text is saying. That's God's will. Listen now. Here's the conclusion from all of this. And remember, it's God's word, not mine. It's from this text. God's will for us, God's will which is designed to make us wise rather than foolish, is to be continually being controlled by the Spirit. That's the wise way for believers to live. It leads to a life of mutual edification, joyful worship with a thankful attitude and a spirit of mutual submission to one another motivated by the love of Christ. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God. That's the will of God for our lives. That's how He wants you to live. That's how He wants me to live. That means then that if we do not have a joyful attitude when we come to worship, then that means that we are not focusing on the Lord. Because it tells us that we should sing as unto Him from the heart. Isn't that right? So we just come here and mouth these choruses and these songs and everything, but we really don't have a real heart of gratitude and thankfulness to God. We're still not worshiping. 
You could go through a ministry. You could be involved in the ministry and do all kinds of things that seem sacrificial. But if you're not doing it for God and only for self, it's useless. It's foolishness. It's a waste of time because it's not God. It's not God's will for you. Submission to one another. We like to say this is only for the husband and or this is only for the wife. Listen to this, Joy. But it isn't. This is an attitude that we should have towards all believers all the time. Because that shows our submission to Jesus Christ, who is our head. That's what he's talking about. And we could go on to each one of these with practical implication. But you see, that's what the Spirit of God does in your life. And when certain people or certain things happen, the Holy Spirit will tell you what to do. What you need to do if you're going to walk in the will of God. And whether you submit or not depends upon your choice. You ask, what is the will of God? That's God's will here. I can hear the groan, the groans right now. You call that easy? You call that one instant step to sanctification? You tricked us again. And so you might ask, how is it possible to live a lifestyle like this? In fact, you might even ask, is, is, it, is it possible to live a life being continually, constantly filled with the Spirit of God? Yes, it's possible. Because if it wasn't possible, He wouldn't have commanded us to do it. He never commands us to do anything we cannot do without His help. Without His help. Nothing. So I say, I can't do this, man. I just a human being, you know. That's my, my no man. That's my nature. You know, I I can't do that. God doesn't expect. Yes, He expects it. Our weakness is no excuse. Why? Because He has given us the Holy Spirit to help us in our weakness. Go to Romans 8, talking about prayer. He says, we have a weakness. What is that weakness? We don't know what to pray for. But we have the Holy Spirit who prays for us with utterance, with words that cannot be uttered. In other words, the very thing that we are weak in, God provides the Holy Spirit to make us strong. So we have no excuse. None at all. And so I want to show you now then from his word how we can do this in one easy step. I keep coming back to that. So I want you to turn again with me to the word of God. This time to another passage still in Romans. In fact, this is a passage we concluded our message with last time. For those of you who will recall. Romans chapter 12 verse 1, fact verses 1 through 3. I want you to look at them in your Bible. And it's on the screen as well. And I will, again, I want you to join me in reading the passage. Romans 12, first verses 1 and 2. If you have it in your Bibles, 
but let's read it now as well. Therefore, I exhort you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, what he's done for us, to present your bodies. To present what? Your body. This word present is a sacrificial term. Present your bodies as a sacrifice. Go on. Alive, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2, and then we'll stop. You do not be conformed to this present world. That's God's word, and that's God's will for you. Now notice in verse 1, if you look at your text, this action is really a once-for-all act here in Romans 12. According to the Greek tense in this passage, the presentation is a once-for-all action. In other words, once this action is done, it's done. This is not an action that is to be done again and again. It may be able to be renewed and reaffirmed, but the action itself can only be done once because it's a sacrifice. Now, this is, text is extremely clear. Please listen to this carefully because your entire Christian life can be revolved around how you respond to it. We can only know the will of God if we present our body as a living sacrifice to him. Look at the text. I exhort you, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, because of what he has done, that you present, you offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And then he says, we'll know what the will of God is. Notice, the basis for the presentation is what God has done for us in Christ. By the mercies of God, sending Jesus Christ to die for us on the cross. The mercies have been explained in the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. God sending his son to die for us on the cross. Demonstrating his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The spirit of God coming to indwell us being justified, all of that is the mercies of God. He says, now because of what God has done for you, here is what you should do if you are going to be wise. Present your body as a living sacrifice. Paul says this kind of presentation is an intelligent act of worship. Intelligent. That means I've thought about it, I've considered it, I've made a decision concerning it. This isn't a wishy-washy type of a thing. This is something that you do objectively, meaning that you make a choice to do it. This doesn't just happen by the way. No matter how long you've been in a church, no matter how many preachers you've heard, no matter where you have been to hear the greatest preachers, if you haven't done this act, you cannot understand the will of God. The implication is clear. 
If we don't make such a sacrifice as Christians, then we are foolish Christians. We are not spiritually intelligent. We are dumb. That's God's word. Foolish, not dumb. Foolish. Not only that, we are not good worshipers either. Why? Because worship without bringing or presenting an approved sacrificial offering to God and all, listen now, all genuine acceptable worship is based on acceptable or approved sacrifice. That's why we have this time of reflection for you in our service. Because you could come here with all kinds of good intentions and be as sincere as anyone. But if you come and you are impure in your life because of sin that has not been in confess, God will not hear your prayer. God will not listen to your sacrifice, to your worship, your praise, or any. He just won't. In fact, he says, why don't you shut up and get out of church? That's what he said to the people, I think it was Haggai's day. They came with all the offerings, all the band, and everything else, but it wasn't there with all of their heart. God says, isn't there someone with enough courage to shut the door and get these people out of here? I don't want to hear them. We're not talking with mon about mundane things here, friends. We're talking about our relationship with the Holy God. We are talking about relationship with the God who sent his son so he could shed his blood to make it possible for us to worship him in spirit and in truth. This isn't just foolishness. We cannot worship God truly any way we want. He only accepts worship that is done according to his plan his outline, his instructions. That's all. You need to understand that. The object of the presentation, it says, in this passage, the object of our sacrificial presentation is our body, which when offered is constituted a living sacrifice. Not a dead one. We don't just put ourselves in the offshore. And it's burnt to smotherings like the animal sacrifices. This is a living sacrifice. This is a sacrifice that goes on and on doing the will of God. Amazingly, in fact, stunningly, Jesus is asking us to do what he did. Listen carefully now. But on a lesser and different level, although the act and attitude are the same, Jesus is saying, you want to be Christ-like? Well, here's what you need to do when it comes to sacrifice. Listen to these awesome, wonderful, amazing words from the Word of God. God's Word and not mine. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 4 through 7. Listen to these words. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Jesus comes into the world, Jesus says, Sacrifice and offering of animals thou hast not desired, but a body, notice now, a body thou hast prepared for me as a sacrifice. In other words, God had to prepare a special body 
for the sacrifice that will take away our sins. Not just any old body would do. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast taken no pleasure. We don't worship the way he tells us and directs us. He has no pleasure in what we do. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the roll of the book it is written of me to do what? To do thy will. Oh God. This is Jesus speaking now. Jesus says, I came to earth to do your will. And how I'm doing it is by having a body that you prepared for sacrifice. To do thy will, O God. How would he do the will of God? By offering the body God had preferred for him as an approved, acceptable sacrifice to God. That was the Father's will for Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. And it is his will for us as well. Not to do away with sin, but in order to live the will of God out in our lives. Now, I, want to get, I want you to get a feel, a feel for what this sacrificial offering of our body means. Sometimes we just read these words and let them go by. Oh, it wasn't that great. And we go out and we sin just like we did before we come in. Here's how God describes an animal sacrifice in the Old Testament, which is a picture and symbol of the offering we're talking about now. Exodus chapter 29, verse 38. Listen to the text. In fact, you can see it on the screen. Now, this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two one-year-old lambs. Notice now, if you brought a two-year-old lamb, God wouldn't accept it. You say, well, that's a lamb, but not the lamb that God wants. Two one-year-old lambs. Notice now, each day continually. Now, this isn't a, a atoning sacrifice here. This is a thanksgiving offering. And this is to go on continually. The one lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer twilight. And there shall be one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with one-fourth of a hin of beaten oil and one-fourth of a hin of wine for a lib libation with one lamb. You notice the specific instructions? And they had to follow that formula. One deviation and the sacrifice was rejected. Verse 41. And the other lamb you shall offer at twilight and shall offer with the same grain offering as the morning and the same libation for a soothing aroma. When you see this term, this means that it's acceptable and pleasing in the sight of God. For soothing aroma, an offering by fire to the Lord. That's why when we pray, we say, Lord, we want these offerings that we give of our praise to ascend to you as a well-pleasing savor in your presence. It shall be a, con notice now, it shall be a what? Continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the doorway of the tent of meeting before the Lord where I will meet you to speak with you there. This is an offering of thanksgiving that results on ongoing fellowship with God. Are you getting this? This is what the Christian life is all about. 
It's not just having fun, having all kinds of celebrate. Those good, mind you. But this is what the core of the Christian life is all about. Worshipping God in an acceptable manner. And he's telling us in this scripture here that that means offering our body as a living sacrifice. But it's got to be acceptable. Some preparations need to be made. See, Romans 12 is the New Testament parallel to the Old Testament continual burnt offering with two major differences. One, the sacrifice is the believer's body, not an animal's. It's your body. Now, by that I mean, we're going to talk about this this evening, and I encourage you to come out because we're going to finish the message this evening. Let me talk about body now. You see a prophet on there like that. That's what we're talking about. What do you do with your body? You use these hands to do things. Isn't that right? You use these feet to go places. You use these eyes to see things, these ears to hear things, these mouths to say things. God is saying to you, I want all of the members of your body to be consecrated, committed, dedicated to doing my will. That's how we walk wisely and not as fools. But secondly, not only is it our body, the victim does not die, but lives as a holy, acceptable sacrifice to God. Well, that's half true. Because as we saw in our final, in our, in, in our previous messages, the old man does die. Remember that? Those of you who have good memory from last week. The old man dies, crucified with Christ. We don't kill him. We can't kill the old man. God does that himself. And now we are free to offer our bodies as a new person. See, that's the difference. We don't offer ourselves to him as the old person. We offer himself, our bodies to him as new persons in Christ. These bodies are to be given to him. His life is only, let me put it this, the living sacrifice that we, our body that we place on the altar is only holy and acceptable when it is done continually, consistently, and totally being consumed for the purpose of serving and pleasing God. In other words, our body is not done away with, although it is consumed. Remember the bush? That should remind us not, not any old bush will do. Being burnt, but not consumed. We are to be totally consumed with the will of God. The will of God is to consume our entire being at all times. That's the will of God for us. Listen carefully now. And God is still speaking through his word. Your life and my life is to be continually being consumed by the will of God. That's what it means to be continually being filled with the spirit. 
That's how we walk wisely rather than foolishly. That's how we worship God intelligently. That's how we show our loving gratitude for what Jesus has done for us. In fact, what the triune God has done for us. And the fire, the fire of this sacrifice does not consume the sacrifice in the sense of annihilating it. But rather, it actually gives it life. Because by its very essence, it is living. It is alive. And when the will of God is really practiced and operated in our lives, we really become alive. Although we've been consumed by the will of God. The sacrifice lives by being consumed by the will of God. What a fantastic, glorious privilege this is. When I get in this stuff, I feel like shouting. I don't shout, you realize that, right? I feel the goose pimples. What I pimples? Not pimples. Bumps going down my spine. To think that God could use me in this fashion. To use these hands and these Eyes and all that used to be concerned with pornography and gambling and drinking and doing all kinds of immoral things. God can now use them to glorify himself. That's amazing. Only by the grace of God. How is this one-time offering sustained and kept alive? If it's a one-time commitment, if it's a one-time consecration, how do we keep it going? That's the message for this evening. Because first of all, before you can keep it going, you've got to get it going. And that's what we want to do right now. To give you an opportunity to get the fire burning, to get the sacrifice offered. You have to make an initial sacrificial presentation. And I want you to do that. And this evening, come out, please, because then we'll show you from the Word of God how He wants us to keep it going. But now look at this text again Romans 12. Please read it for, with me once more. Therefore, I exhort you. Whose word is that? It's a command. Present. Offer. Give. It has to be made intelligently. In other words, you do it with a full knowledge of what is involved. Some people tell me, oh yeah, I've committed my life to Christ. When? Well, you know, I just went along, figured that's it. That's not the kind of stuff, he's, that's not the wishy-washy kind of presentation. This offering is deliberate, ob objective. It is something that you do after thinking about it. To use... Another metaphor. This is a plow that you cannot turn back from once you have placed your hand upon it. 
This is a lifelong, continual offering and presentation. And I want you to make that intelligent commitment presentation right now, right here. And I know that's what God wants you to do because he commands it. So I have no fear of this. So please bow with me now, if you will. And I want you to ask the Spirit of God to continue to speak to you and to make these words spoken by God to be implanted, impregnated within your heart. Let him know that with his help, you will be obedient to what he has said to you this morning. And I want you to offer him your body, all that you have to him right now, as he has commanded you to do. I want to remind you again, this is God speaking in and through these scriptures, not me. What you do have has nothing to do with me. It's between you and God right now. Whatever he commands, we must do, or else we are foolish. If we are to do his will and show that we are loving and intelligent worshipers of the triune God, we need to make this offering right now. Now, I'm not going to tell you or guide you as to what you need to say or how you need to do it. The Spirit of God is able to do this without my help. You need to do, however, whatever He tells you to do, and you need to do it now. Now, if you make a commitment for the first time today, or you do it as an act of re-consecration, you need to do it, because you need to do it now objectively, specifically, in response to the word of God who commands you to present yourself as a living sacrifice. Take a few moments and make that commitment to him right now. Let him know that you want to be a wise Christian, not a foolish one. You want to do the will of God and his will for you right now. Is to consecrate your body to him as a living sacrifice, meaning that you will give everything that you do, you say, you see the places you go all over to doing his will do that right now going to stand in just a few seconds to sing our closing hymn of consecration and what I'm going to ask you to do is that if you have made a commitment or recommitment reconsecration if you want or for the first time 
as we sing, I want you to leave your seat and just come by here and shake my hand. You don't have to stop. Just shake my hand as an indication that I'm shaking the hand of a living sacrifice for Jesus Christ. Shall we stand as we sing?